Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, welcome to Calvary Church. So glad you could be here and thankful for Pastor Chad to have a chance to get away a little bit. That's good for him, isn't it? That's great. Uh, thank you for your warm welcome. Uh, it's an honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to a great service. So uh, uh, hopefully it won't be the best nap you ever had uh, today. Uh, but if it is, praise God for that too, you know. Um, you know, I, I learned, uh, I heard a story, uh, oh, it's been a long time ago now, where uh, this pastor asked one of the older gentlemen in his congregation to help him with his preaching, and he said, you know, you've been around a long time, can you help me do better messages? And he said, what makes a good message? And so that the older gentleman uh, thought about it for a little while, and he said, well, here's what I think, based on all my years of experience, you know, a message, a good message really has to have a great beginning. And a, and a really good message has to have a great ending. But a really great message has as little space between those two things as possible. <laughs> and so I don't know if you're going to get a great message today, but I'm going to try to do my best to preach God's word to you. How's that? So we'll, we'll try that. And we'll see how that goes. Well, thanks again. Uh, this week, we're going to uh, continue our series that Pastor Chad kicked off last week called Let's Talk About dot, dot, dot. And if you remember, um, what we're going to do with this series is we're going we're gonna to look at some really uh, challenging topics and questions of, of our culture today. And uh, we are gonna, we're going to dive in and... and you know, try to answer some really difficult questions. But you know, there's almost like a question behind the question. And that question is, how do you know you're answering the question right? How do you know you have the right answer? What makes my answer better than your answer? You know, our culture today, um, uh, it seems like truth is relative. It's, it's relative, you know, what you believe is true, what I believe is true, don't always have to line up according to the culture. And so, how do we answer these questions and know that we get to the right answer? And so, it's important to answer the question, is there objective truth? Is there really truth that is true no matter who it applies to, no matter when you talk about it, no matter what's going on, what the issue is. Is there objective truth? And I agree with that. There is objective truth. Um, we, we believe here at Calvary Church, your pastoral staff and the fellowship that we belong to, the Assemblies of God, we believe that the Bible is the source of that truth. And in fact, we believe that the Bible is foundational. It's foundational to everything we do. It's foundational to our lives. It's foundation to our home. It's foundational to every aspect of our lives. And it's especially foundational when we think about our eternity. Psalm 119 says this, Your word, Lord, is eternal. That's forever. It stands firm in the heavens. Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. You see, the Bible talks about its authority as perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm, righteous. And so we believe that this book, the Bible, is foundational and it's so important to come to the right answers for these big questions of life. Did you know that um, the Bible is the best-selling book in history? It's the best-selling book in history. And what's interesting about that to me is that often you'll hear people say, and, and maybe you've thought this too, is that, oh, the Bible's so hard to understand. The Bible's so difficult. Maybe even the Bible's boring, you know? If you read some parts of it, like Leviticus, you might think that. Um, <laughs> the Bible's boring. I, I don't know how to read it. I don't know how to understand it. So if that's the case, why is, why is the Bible the best-selling book in history? That doesn't add up, does it? And I think the reason is, is that the Bible contains the answers to life's biggest problems. And not only just an answer, but the Bible gives us answers that work and that give you and I hope. So the Bible is full of the right answers that help us to live a life that God has called us to live, and it fills us with hope for both now and the future. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. You see, when we engage the Word of God, the Bible says God becomes a shield to us, and we can take refuge in Him from the storms of our culture like we've seen in these shootings just the last couple of days. Our world is in difficult times. We need the stability of the Bible to help us navigate these difficult times. And, you know, I think it's mission critical for all of us to get this right, to get this as our foundation. Um, I don't know if you caught this on TV or not, but uh, recently our nation, really just a couple weeks ago, celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. You remember that? Some of us, like me, are old enough to actually remember the landing. Uh, I watched it on TV, and I can remember as a kid staying up late. I got to stay up late to watch that. And I could watch the, the grainy image of, on the TV of Neil Armstrong stepping off, you know, and, and I was just totally geeked out by that. I had, like, the Apollo models and things like that. You know, I was just totally in on it. If you and I were going to take a trip to the moon today, let's say we were going to go from Earth to the moon and we were going to jump in a rocket, but it's up to you to plot the course. And let's say you plotted your course, but you were one degree off. Now, if you know anything about that kind of stuff, one degree, there's 360 degrees in a circle, so one degree doesn't sound like a whole lot. But you know, by the time that you travel the distance from the earth to what would be the moon, you would miss the moon by almost 4,200 miles. 
So just a little bit off when you start a long journey can end up being a long way off at the end of the journey. And that's what happens. The farther that you go, the longer that you go on a, on a course that's not on track, the farther away from the right destination you get. And that's why the Bible is so important to us because it allows course correction. It allows us to get on the right course because if you've read the Bible, you know we've all got off on the wrong course. And so we need to get on the right course or we're going to miss the target that God has set for us, which is to spend eternity with Him. And so the Bible, engaging in the Bible, gets us back on course. It provides that course correction so you don't miss eternity by 4,200 miles. So today, some of us need a course correction. Some of us need to engage the Bible or maybe have a fresh engagement with the Bible. Maybe it needs to become fresh with you again. I don't know if you have this happen at your home or not, but this happens at my home once in a while. Um, this, is a, a, this is a bag full of, this is 2,000 puzzle pieces. And I thought that maybe what we could do today is each person take a piece and try to put this together. What do you think? You want to do that? No, we're not going to do that. We, we would be here a long time. Have you, did you have, a, have you ever had something like this where you pull it out of your closet, but you don't have the box that it came in? Have you ever had that happen? And you're like, well, I don't even know what this is supposed to look like when it's done. The other big question is, how do I know that all these pieces are the same puzzle? Right? This might be two or three puzzles all lumped together. Sometimes our life is like this bag of puzzle pieces. We have a bunch of puzzle pieces that we don't know how they fit together. And unless we engage the Bible, we don't know. The, you know, the Bible is like the box. It gives us the go-by. It gives us a, a, a look as to what our life should look like so that when we are building our lives, when we're putting the puzzle pieces together, we actually can understand how they all should fit together. And we build a life that God can be proud of and that we can be proud of and that brings honor to Him. The Bible's the way that we can put the puzzle pieces of life together so that we bring honor to Him. So today what we're going to do, so we're going to spend the rest of our time together and we're going to look at four puzzle pieces of life that the Bible helps us put together that give us that go-by that we can then build our lives upon. So puzzle piece number one is a puzzle piece that I like to call identity. Identity. The Bible tells us who God is and who we are. So whether, whether we recognize it or not, really whether you believe in God or not, probably the biggest question you're going to answer in your life is, who is God? Who is God is really the biggest question you're going to answer. And that God doesn't have to be the God that we would propose you serve. There's a lot of different 
options out there today. And we are built to worship. The human being is built to worship. And so what happens is often when we start off with the wrong trajectory, we begin to worship something else. In fact, what captures our heart is what we worship. What captures our heart is what we end up worshiping. And so left to ourselves, sometimes we worship the wrong thing. Following the wrong God leads to disappointment and disaster. It's like missing the moon by 4,200 miles. What are some of those things we can get off track with? Well, it, it might be things like success or, or money or hobbies. It can be fame. It could be even be other people or maybe even yourself. We can start worshiping those things and get our eyes off the mark and miss the target. There was a, a really famous American playwright called Sam Shepard. And Sam Shepard was like the premier American playwright of the 20th century. He had more off-Broadway awards than any other American playwright. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a, in, as he portrayed an, uh, John Glenn in The Right Stuff. And so this gentleman had all the accolades from his field that one could ever hope for. He was the best. Listen to the quote that he said towards the end of his life. The funny thing about having all this so-called success is that behind it is a certain horrible emptiness. Behind it is a certain horrible emptiness. And that's the trap of following the wrong God, is that it seems good at the time, and it may feel good at the time, but in the end, there's this horrible emptiness. You've missed the moon by 4,200 miles. Even at the very beginning of creation, the first two human beings that God created, Adam and Eve, following the wrong God was what got them off track. And that's what led us to be off track. So it's hugely important to get it right. Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to call God? And so how do you know that you're worshiping the right God? Well, the Bible helps us understand who God is in ways we can understand. We have, we have so often let ourselves be intimidated by the Bible. Maybe it's from past experiences or maybe it's from other people. And so we've let, we've let that intimidate us from trying to understand what God's Word says to us. But this word, the Bible, tells us who God is in ways that we can understand. You see, God wants you to understand about Him. He wants you to know about Him. He's not trying to hide. He wants you to know. He's inviting us in. So what does the Bible say about God? What is He like? Well, first of all, right at the front of the Bible, it says He's the Creator. He's the Creator. In Genesis 1.1, in the first four words of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, 
God. God was here before creation, and then he created everything. He's the uncaused cause. He was here before everything. What else does the Bible say he's like? Well, the Bible says he's present everywhere. That means there's no place you can go to run from the presence of God. He's everywhere all the time. And he knows everything. Everything past, present, and future. Everything about you and I. Nothing catches God by surprise. I didn't see that coming. He knows everything. And he can do anything. He's all-powerful. Anything within that's consistent with his character, he can do. So if you just look at those traits, you might say, wow, that's creepy. I don't know if I want to serve a God that knows everything, sees everything, and does everything, right? I don't know if that's the God I want to serve. But the Bible goes farther than that. And it tells us about a God who loves everyone. This Bible shows how God loves everyone. 1 John 4.16, part of that verse says, God is love. We know what love is because the Bible tells us who God is. And we model love for each other off of that model. God is love. He's the very definition of love. And so a God like that is a God that you and I want to serve. Well, you might say, that's great. The Bible tells me about God, tells me what he's like, tells me he's the creator, that he knows everything. All that's great. But the problem that I have is I don't know who I am. And you know, many of the issues of our day that we're going to deal with actually in this series, many of the issues, the real root problem is human identity. We don't understand what it means to be human. And this book helps us understand what it means to be human. This book tells us where we came from, who we are made like, and where we are going. This book helps us understand the issues of our day because it helps us understand what it means to be human. Many people have an identity problem today. When you think about the big issues that are, that are in our culture today, things like gender identity, sexual orientation, those are identity issues. And the Bible helps us with that if we will listen. Because the Bible tells us who God is, it helps us understand who we are. When we begin to learn what, who God is like, then we begin to see what it means to be human. And the reason that is is because the Bible says we're made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, we were made in the image of God. But if you're like me, that's a little bit confusing because you think, how can I be like God? How can I be like that? That seems hard at times to relate to. But the really cool thing about God and the Bible is he didn't leave it there. He gave us the best example of all time because he gave us the, the example of the human, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
and in Jesus, we can really understand what it means to be human. Colossians 1.15 says this, the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You see, Jesus is that perfect example for us as a human being that we can look to his life, we can look to how he lived his life, the principles he lived by, the way he interfaced with people, and we can learn what it means to be human. And then Jesus is also in the image of God like the rest of us humans. And so we learn about God as well. We can know our identity by knowing Jesus. If you have confusion about your identity, the Bible's answer is get to know Jesus. When you get to know Jesus, you'll find out your identity as a human being. Jesus is a real person, a real person that we can look to and pattern our lives after. And that's the value of getting in the Bible. We can begin to pattern our lives by the way that he lived and get to know what it means to be human. Romans 8.29, Paul says this, For God knew his people in advance, that's you and I, and he chose them to become like his son, that's Jesus, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, he chose you and I to look to Jesus to become like him so that we would become the people he's called us to be. And that identity question is huge in our culture today. And maybe it's big in your life too. Maybe you just need to understand who you are. God, why did you make me the way you made me? Cindy and I, my wife Cindy, um, we, uh, we practically raised our granddaughter, Chelsea. She, uh, she's been such a blessing to our life. Chelsea's mom had a lot of health issues and, and other things going on in her life. And when Chelsea was just entering into junior high, she actually came to live with us full time because her mother was just so ill. And so Chelsea's kind of like a daughter to us. Um, and... One of the challenges that Chelsea had growing up was that she had never really had a relationship with her biological father. She had it just never had that. And, and she used to say, you know, I, I see my mother, I see my grandmother, but I just don't see features that, you know, remind me of me. And, you know, I just need that connection that I don't have, and there's just something missing. And... One day, I, she was 17, I believe, and in high school, and uh, some circumstances came about where she could, uh, it was really God-ordained, could meet her biological father and get to talk with him and interface with him a little bit more. And I was a little bit nervous about it because, you know, I was kind of like the dad figure, and I was like nervous about this, that it would, wouldn't go well. And so she went and met with her biological father and when she came back, I said, how'd it go, how'd it go? And she came back and said, you know, when I, when I looked at, at my father, I could see facial features that reminded me of me. When I looked at his skin, I could see that his skin type was like my skin type. And when he started talking, we found out that he liked the same things that I liked. And she said, all of a sudden, I belonged, I connected. And just like with Chelsea, 
we need to meet our Father. Because when we look at our Father, we're going to connect in a way that we can't in any other way because we're made in the image of God. And when we look at Him, we're going to find our sense of belonging. We're going to find our sense of identity. But it's only when we look at Him. And just like Chelsea, you can have that happen in your life today. And that can be ongoing as you engage with this word. And so puzzle piece number one that the Bible helps us with in our putting together our pieces of, of the puzzle of life is identity. The Bible helps us understand who God is and who we are. Puzzle piece number two, I like to call worth. Worth. The Bible shows us that God's focus is people. The Bible shows us God's focus is people. You know, the the first couple of chapters of the Bible talk about the creation story, right? And the last couple of chapters of the Bible in the book of Revelation, if you're familiar, talk about the new heaven and the new earth, where God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth for us. You know what's in between all of that? Stories of people. Stories of how God intervened in people's life, how he brought salvation to them, how he brought restoration to them, how he brought hope to them and a future to them. This Bible is full of stories of hope and restoration and salvation. That's what this book is full of. And so God's focus is on people. When God created the world, Every day of creation, at the end of the day, he said he called it good. But it wasn't until after God created the first man and the first woman that God called creation very good because his focus is on people. Genesis 1.31, at the end of creation, day six, he said this, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So you're probably wondering right now, what happened to the very good? It's not so very good right now. We're surrounded by difficulties, famines, wars, shootings, things that happen, death, sickness. Where's the very good? But the Bible tells us what happened. The Bible says right in Genesis chapter 3, It tells us about that sad story where the first man and woman decided to walk away from God. They got their eyes on the wrong God and set us on a trajectory that turned out to be destruction and death. But God used the entirety of history and the Bible to show how he's worked through history to go through great lengths to bring salvation to you and I, to restore us back to a right relationship to bring the very good back. God has gone to great lengths to bring salvation to us. John 3.16 says this, a very familiar verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God was willing to give his own Son for you and I that we could have that relationship back. 
that we tossed away. God sent Jesus, His Son, in human form to live a perfectly sinless life so that He could pay the penalty for our sins. He sent Jesus to do that for you and I. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that's you and I, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that great exchange that we got? We got to give away our sinful nature, our sin nature, and we got to get His righteousness and an eternity with Him because of His love for you and I, because His focus is on people. This book, the Bible, is one big story. I don't know if you realize that or not. It's one big story. It's a book that's written, it's got 66 books in it. It's written by some 40 authors over a period of probably 1,500 plus years. But yet, it all hangs together on one story. And you know what that story is? That story is that God is on a mission to make sure every single person has the opportunity to come into a relationship with him. That's the, that's the message of the Bible. If I was going to give you the message of the Bible in one sentence, it would be that. And some of us need to hear that, that God's on a mission to make sure you have a right relationship with him. Ravi Zacharias, you know, the evangelist, you've probably heard of him. He tells a story when he was first beginning his ministry back in 1971. He was doing uh, a series of meetings in South Vietnam, evangelistic-type meetings, and because of the language barrier, he had to have a translator. And so there was a young man named Hiem Pham who spoke English and the language there, and so he, he was a Christian, and so it was a great match. And so Ravi did his meetings and then went back home, and Hiem obviously stayed behind. Well, if you know your world history... You know that in 1975, South Vietnam fell to the communists, right? And people who were um, sympathetic to the Americans at that time were not treated very well. And him was no different. He was thrown in jail multiple times for long lengths of time. He was not allowed to have anything in English that he could read. He was not allowed to have a Bible, and he was subjected to uh, indoctrination with communist philosophy and atheist philosophy repeatedly over and over again. And so this went on for uh, several years while he was in prison. And finally, one, one day, Hiem got to the point where he said, you know, maybe, maybe these guys are right. Maybe I have been lied to all along. Maybe this Christianity stuff really isn't what I was told. Maybe I've been sold a bill of goods. And so he finally got to the point, got so desperate, where he said, you know, tomorrow, that's it. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to start a different path. I'm going to do what they say. Something's got to change. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Something's got to change. And so Hiem was ready to walk away from his faith. Well, the next day he gets up, 
And the jailers, the captors, come in and they say, Hey, he am, today's your day for latrine duty. Well, latrine duty's the worst thing you could get because you're in a prison, people don't care uh, how clean they are. And it was a terrible job, the worst job. Part of that job was the person that had to clean the latrines also had to empty the, the used, the bins of used soiled paper. So it was a terrible job. So Ham got about doing the work, and as he was doing it, his eyes fell on a piece of paper in one of the bins, and because he knew English, he saw that it had English writing on it. Knowing that English was banned, he thought, what is this? So what he did was he reached in, took the soiled paper, cleaned it off, stuck it in his pocket and said, I'm going to look at this later. So later that night on his bed, when it was safe, he remembers that piece of paper. He pulls it out of his pocket, opens it up, and he's totally amazed by what he sees. When he opens this up, right at the top, it says Romans chapter 8. And you remember Romans, right? Romans is that book where Paul said, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, are the called according to his purpose, and, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And at that instant, him knew that God was speaking to him, that God's focus is on people, and he cared about him where he was, and him rededicated his life to the Lord and today serves the Lord in ministry because God reached down at the moment he needed it because God's focus is on people. And some of, some of us today, this message might be that for you. God's reaching out to you saying, I care about you. I love people, but I love you. And God wants you to know that he's gone to great lengths Get into relationship with you. God's focus is on people. Puzzle piece number one, identity. The Bible helps us know who God is and who we are. Puzzle piece number two is worth. God's focus is on people. Puzzle piece number three, I call it fulfillment. Fulfillment. The Bible shows that a relationship with God brings growth and fruitfulness. Psalm 92 says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Some of you are full of sap, I bet, aren't you? Are you full of sap today? Bear fruit in old age, praise God. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. God is a God of flourishing and fruitfulness. He wants to bring fulfillment to our lives. Everything he touches, he brings growth and fruitfulness to. Look at creation. Right when he first created everything, when he first created this world, his first action after creation was to bring order and fruitfulness 
to the chaos and confusion that was there. Remember formless and void? God brought order and fruitfulness to that. Very first thing. And when he created people, the first man and the first woman, he gave them this command in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them. That's Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's command to the very first people, his very first command to them, be fruitful, increase in number. He brings growth and health to everything he touches. The Bible says that God is the source of abundant life. Some of us are living but we really don't have life inside. We might be alive. We might be breathing. But do we have that abundant life that God promised us? That only comes with a connection with Him. We don't have that in and of ourselves. But when we connect with Him, He's promised to us abundant life. Real life Abundant life is only found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the place you find it. We can search for it in a lot of ways, in a lot of different places, but the only place you'll find the abundant life is in that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In John 10.10, Jesus said these words, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants our life to be fulfilling. He wants us to live it to the full. Jesus also said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, catch this, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. His nature is to cause us to bear fruit in our lives. That's what he wants to do, but it requires the connection. We have to stay connected to him. John 14, 6, Jesus also said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the source of life. And when we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, we find a fulfilling life. He brings life to everything he touches and growth, fruitfulness. I spent, um, I, I was trained as a chemical engineer. I went to school to be a chemical engineer. And I worked for about 34 years in the oil refining industry. And if you have any engineers in your family or maybe you know one, uh, you know, sometimes we get, uh, we're a little bit uh, matter of fact, you know, we're, uh, you know, just give me the facts, don't give me all this other stuff and um, kind of cold and, you know, unfeeling even at times. Um, at least that's the way people look at us. We're really not that way. Um, and so in many of my offices over the years, Cindy, my wife, would come to the office and she would say, you know what you need in here? You need something that's alive. That's what you need, you know. You've got nothing that's alive in here. And I, I, think, I don't think she was counting me, but I'm not sure. <laughs> she says, you need something alive here. 
And so she said, you need a plant. Okay, let's get a plant. So we got a plant. And I don't know, guys, if you're, if you're like me, I have this spiritual gift where I can kill a plant in two weeks or less. It's just a gift that I have, and, um, you know, I can do that. And so we tried this a few times. She would give me a plant. I would take it to work. It would die, and it just back and forth. And so one time, Cindy uh, gets me a cactus, okay? So, so you know where cactus live, right? Cactus live in the desert, hot places, no water, and some of them live for like, oh, I don't know, a long time, decades, hundreds of years. Well, I managed to kill the cactus. <laughs> and so one time I was picking it up off the shelf at work. I was just picking it up to move it for some reason, and the cactus rolled out of the, it rolled out of the pot onto the floor like a tumbleweed. It was just like, I'm done. You know, I'm done with this. I'm out of here. So Cindy, Cindy gets me another plant. She's, she's persistent. She gets me another plant. And I take it to work, and I'm starting to do my thing again on the plant. And I, th- I, I thought to myself, I thought, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this again? Why don't I take this plant back home and let Cindy, who has a way with plants, make this plant be what it should be, you know? I'm going to kill it. And so I took it home, and pretty soon that plant starts growing. It starts sprouting new leaves. She has to repot it because it gets so big. That's, what, that's a picture of what God wants to do with our lives. We take our lives, and we mess them up. We make bad decisions. We make bad relationship choices. And, and we choke the life out of our life. And what God says to us is, bring it back to me. I'm the source of fulfillment. I'm the source of health for you. I'm the source of growth. Stay plugged in with me, and you'll flourish. God helps us put that puzzle piece together that says you can live a fulfilled life, and this is how you do it. It's through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So puzzle piece number one is identity. The Bible helps us know who God is and who we are. Puzzle piece number two is worth. The Bible shows us that God's focus is on people. Puzzle piece number three is fulfillment. Everything that God touches, he brings fruitfulness and growth to. And finally, puzzle piece number four is what I call purpose. The Bible shows us that God lets us in on the action. God lets us in on the action. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared in advance things for you to do, you and I to do, that he's known about before we even came into existence. And he wants to give us that purpose. But if you remember earlier, I said, God is all-powerful. He can do anything, right? He's all-powerful. He can do anything. So why does he need my help? He doesn't need my help, does he? And the answer to that is no. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need my help at all. But he wants my help. He wants your help. He wants to work alongside you. 
because he wants to give your life purpose. He wants to give you a reason for living. He wants you to grow and develop into the person he's always known you could be. That's what Ephesians 2.10 is all about. He's prepared these things for you in advance because he knows what you can be. And so he chooses to allow us to work alongside him because he loves us. My brother and I uh, grew up in a small town called Vienna, Illinois, small town in southern Illinois. It's spelled like Vienna, but don't say it that way down there. Say Vienna. Vienna is the way they say it. Great place to grow up. Little town, 1,200 people. And our dad ran a general store. You know, back then, there were general stores around, and it was a great place. It was a place where you could buy just a little bit of everything, and it was almost like a community meeting place. People would come in, they'd see their friends, they would chat, they would buy a can of oil or whatever, you know, and it was just a great little place uh, for, for community, really. And my dad, he hired um, cashiers, he hired uh, stock boys, he had people that worked for him that could do everything to run the store. So within my dad's power, he had everything he needed to run the store. But very early on, he brought my brother Mike and I with him to the store, and he began to show us how to take care of customers. He began to show us how to sweep the floors. He began to show us how to find things for people and how when they were not happy, how we could try to make them happy. And he showed us how to run the cash register because back then people paid with cash and you had to actually make change, you know, you had to do the math, you know. And, and he taught us how to do that. But he didn't have to. We probably cost him more money than we earned him because we probably broke stuff. We probably <laughs> offended a customer or two at times. And maybe gave too much change out once in a while. He had all the help he needed. He could do anything he wanted in that store. But our dad chose to bring us alongside because he loved us. And he wanted us to learn what it meant to be able to help people. And to come into our purpose in life. That's what God wants to do with you and I. He doesn't need our help, but he wants our help. And he wants you to come into the place that he's always prepared for you. And so just like my dad did with my brother and I, he wants to bring you into his business so that you can be a part of his action. And what is his action? Well, I think it's three things. Three things that I think God wants us to be a, a big part of. The first is, he wants us to be a part of bringing his blessing to the world. He wants us to be a part of bringing God's blessings to your world. What does that mean? That means God's given you talents and abilities. You work in an industry, or maybe you're a doctor or a nurse. Maybe you're a tradesman, you work somewhere. God's given you talents and passion and he wants you to use your skill so that you can share God's blessing with the, the people you interface with. 
He wants you to be a blessing to your community, to your family, to demonstrate that God wants to bless people. That's the first thing. He wants you to bring blessings, his blessings, to the world around you. Number two, he wants you to model for other people what God is like. He wants other people to look at you and get a glimpse of what God might be like. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you. This is Jesus speaking. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Remember, God is love. And so when we love each other, we show a little bit about what God is like. And so God wants us to be about showing and modeling what he is like to other people. The third way, the third part of the action that God wants us in on is helping others discover a right relationship with him. They want, God wants us to help others find a right relationship with him. He wants that because God's focus is on people. He went to great lengths to see that every one of us could be in that relationship. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission statement, to seek and to save the lost. And so God wants to call us alongside to help people see that that relationship can happen and that they can have that fulfilled life. And so this book, this Bible, tells us about our identity, about our worth, about living a fulfilled life and having a life of purpose. It helps us put these puzzle pieces together so that we can live a life that God has always wanted us to live. I have a picture I want to show you uh, that I think you'll probably recognize this, this, uh, this building. Have you seen this before? Or is the picture tilted? Yeah. This is in Italy. This is in the town of Pisa. But what's the name we know this by? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's its claim to fame, right? And you know, this building is fantastic. Like when you look at the, the type of architecture and, and, and the beauty of it, it's, it's a fabulous looking building. What's above ground is fantastic. You know where the problem with this building is? It's below. The foundation is the problem. This, this, uh, this building was started in the late 1100s, if you can believe that. And for the last 800 plus years, people have been working and working and working to try to make sure this thing doesn't fall over. Not because the top is not right, but because the foundation is not right. The foundation that was built for this tower was inadequate to support the weight of the tower that was built upon it. That's what happens when we build a life that's not got its foundation in the Bible. So we build a life that the foundation can't support the weight of it. And whether it's sooner or whether it's later, at some point, the foundation's going to give way. But if we build our life on the truths of the Bible, if we really engage with the Bible, 
God promises that your foundation is firm and eternal, like we read up front. Firm and eternal. That means it's not going anywhere and it's going to be around forever. And so God wants to give us a life like that, a life that has identity, worth, fulfillment, and purpose based on a foundation that won't be shaken with a trajectory that gets you to the target. He wants to give us that course correction today. The first important step to that is to have a relationship with God. You need to have a relationship with God, and that only comes as you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. and Say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own, but if I stay with you, you promise you will help me. And we make him our Lord and our Savior. And when we do that and then engage in this book, the Bible says we'll live a life of identity, worth, fulfillment, and purpose. And we can put this puzzle together and it becomes a beautiful picture of what God always intended for us to have. And so my challenge to you today is get that relationship with God. If you don't have it, if you need to renew it, get that relationship with God. We have friends in our Connection Center in the atrium that they would love to pray with you today. And they would love to give you resources that will get you started on the right trajectory. And maybe you have a relationship with God. I want to give you one more challenge today, if that's okay. You're going to receive on the way out a postcard like this. And this is a a 21-day reading challenge. I'm challenging our church, and I'm, I'm challenging myself too with this. I'm challenging us to read the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, one chapter a day for the next 21 days. And you've got a little thing here you can check off your progress so you can make, if you're a list maker, you can feel good about that. But here's what I know is going to happen. When you engage with the Word, this book is very approachable. When you engage with this Word, I am totally confident that God's going to change your life. I have no doubt in my mind. If you engage this book with an open heart and an open mind, you can't help but be different. And so would you accept that challenge with me for the next 21 days? I would love to hear your stories. Post them on social media. I'd love to hear how God is doing a work in your life as you go through this challenge. If you would do that, that would be great. Would you pray with me today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you sent Jesus, your son, to pay the price for our sin so that we could receive your righteousness and receive eternal life. And God, we're grateful that you gave us the Bible so that we could then understand who you are and how we should live our lives and how much you love us and what our destiny is set for. God, would you help us as we engage with your word? Maybe it's a fresh engagement. Maybe it's for the first time. Would you, Lord, Reveal to us what you're trying to show us. and Would you change our hearts and lives? Would this be a fresh time for us, Lord? 
Let it be that. God, I pray for your people today. I pray that you would go before them, that you would pour out your blessings upon them, that you would go behind them and leave blessings in their wake. And God, we pray that you would be with us this week as we go about in your world helping people come into contact with you. And we give you the thanksgiving and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. And come here next Wednesday. We'll have a great time of worship, and we'll see you next week at Calvary.